Have you ever have you ever been in the dark about something? You ever been in the dark about something? What I mean by that is like there was just something that you just didn't know, right? Uh, uh, over the last over a couple of weeks, we've been having some car issues, and uh, it has to do with the charge system. And how many know that that is so fun, right? When you're like flip of the coin, let's see if the car starts this time, right? And uh, so we were dealing with that, and and uh, you know, and I thought, well, it's I have a, some, a little bit of experience. My dad taught me a couple of things, and so I went, opened the hood, you know, and looked at the battery. Sure enough, it had corrosion on it, and I learned, I didn't realize this, but I learned that, you know, corrosive battery terminals can actually cause the car to not start. So I got that all cleaned up and, you know, went to Walmart, right? Went to Walmart, got that stuff and cleaned it, got it all ready to go, and it was good. It was good to go. And uh, then the other day, I had an opportunity to go downtown San Diego and uh, meet somebody for lunch, and I don't know if you've ever been downtown San Diego around the the Padres Park there, you know, how parking can be. You park on the street, you parallel park, all that kind of stuff. And so I parked, didn't think anything about it, went, had lunch, and then went over to a coffee shop, did some work. Uh, It was about 4.30 in the afternoon, come back out to my car, get in, Great, right? So I was somewhat prepared, get into the back, pull out the battery cables, pop open the hood. Now, how many knows that when you do something like that, especially in a place like that, you might as well just tell everybody you have leprosy, right? It's like, anybody want to help me? Nope, didn't think so, right? I, I even went over to this one truck who was in like a Mercedes work truck, and I thought, if anybody will get it, it'll be this guy. He's a worker, right? Blue collar guy. And I knock on his window, and I'm like, can you, I just, you know, I got the cables, it's all set up. I just need you to kind of pull alongside me, you know, give me a charge. And he's like, dude, He's like, this is a Mercedes truck. I don't even know where the battery is. I was like, great, right? And so I'm sitting there. I'm sitting by the side of the vehicle. I'm looking, looking, looking. And, uh, and this guy pulled parallel parks like right behind me. And he's in like a brand new Acura, brand new Acura. And I go over to him. I'm like, dude, I was like, can you help me out, man? I, I, you know, cars broke down and I've got the batteries ready. I just need you to pull alongside me and we'll hook it up. We'll charge it. We'll be good to go. And he's like, ah, he's like, okay, man. He's like, oh, I'll help you out. So he pulls up his brand new car. He doesn't even, he hasn't even popped the hood yet, so he doesn't even know where the battery's at. I'm like, this is going real good, right? And so, uh, but he helps me out. We get it all connected, and, you know, I'm charging up my car, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I don't know how long you're supposed to let the thing charge, right? And especially it's with somebody that I just met in his brand new Acura, and so I'm like, ah, you know, so I'm letting it charge as long as I can, and, and then, I, you know, then I, I, go to, I go to try it, and it, almost, right? And I'm like, oh, bro, almost, right? And so I was like, let's just let it charge a little bit. We get to, you know, we get to talking and, and uh, you know, and stuff. And he kind of shares that the reason he has a brand new car is because he had one for a long time and he felt pity on me. It's like, dude, you're the good Samaritan, right? You're the good Samaritan. So we get it charged up and, uh, you know, enough again. And, and then I get back in that car and I go to turn it and it goes, it's even worse, right? And so I said, you know what, buddy? I was like, thank you for your time, man. I know you got to get to going and all that kind of stuff. So I let him go. Luckily, I have a friend that works downtown and so contacted him and he arranged to have uh, his buddy come. So, so he came. So I felt a little bit more comfortable, you know, spending a little bit more time kind of coaching him through like, dude, you need to kind of rev your engine a little bit. That kind of pushes a little bit more juice to it. And so we, we let this thing charge for, for like five or 10 minutes. You know, sure enough, this should, be, this should be good. So I hop in the car and go to turn it on. It's even worse, right? And so I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to have to call a tow truck. And so I call, call my wife, Crosby, and I'm like, hey, the car's doing this thing. 
I'm just going to go ahead and t- you know, call a tow truck. You know, that means you got to get the baby and you got to meet me because we got to figure this out. And so uh, the car drives away and leaves. And I was still with, uh, still with my one friend. And, you know, I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to try it just to try it one last time. I get into that car. No batteries are connected at all. Off we go, right? Right? Off we go. Turns out, I finally like, you know, we get it over to a mechanic. It turned out it was, you know, it wasn't any of the issues that I thought it was. It was actually our starter had went back. And that was the issue. But I was totally in the dark about what I thought was wrong. Have you ever been in that spot? Have you ever been in a spot where you were, I'm, I'm like not really sure about this. Have you ever went to a, a work function with like coworkers, right? And you've worked with this, you know, him or her for a long time and you know who they are. It's like, you know, for some of us, we kind of know our coworkers just as good as we know our spouses, Yes. All right, well, don't answer that one, right? Don't answer that one. We know them very, very well. And have you ever went to a work function and you see who they're married to and you're like, you're married to them, right? It's like, how did that work out? Or have you ever in your own life, did you ever realize how much that you could love tacos, right? Doesn't that, aren't you in the dark about that? You're like, I have no, I had no idea that I could love tacos so much, right? There's all, there's been all kinds of different ways and times and seasons in our life where we've been, we've been kind of in the dark about something. But this is the question I want to ask us this morning as we continue. Have you ever been in the dark about maybe what God, who God is and what God wants for your life? Have you ever been in that spot where you think like, well, I think it's like this, or I think it's supposed to work out like this, or I think God kind of looks like this, but then you kind of realize that maybe I don't know what I should know. If you're in that spot, you're in a good place uh, this morning because uh, in the scriptures and in the Bible, there was a lot of people that they, they didn't know who God was, and which meant that they didn't know what God wanted for their life. And so we're going to look at a particular passage of scripture uh, this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be in the book of John, and you can move to the eighth chapter And as you do, I'm going to set up some context for us before we read this passage. So in the book of John, so you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You've got what they're they're called the four gospels. There's there's four different people that have recorded the life uh, of Jesus and what he had said and and what he had did. You got to understand something about the gospels. The gospels all kind of recorded Jesus... But then when they, when they wrote it years later, they were writing to a particular audience. So, the, so they interpreted, you know, Jesus, what he said, what he did, uh, kind of in a particular, in their particular way. And so you've got the Gospel of John. John was written uh, kind of later. And so when he's writing to his audience, he's remembering things that Jesus said and did. But he's kind of interpreting them, uh, you know, the way that he understands it. Or, or that they're given a theological kind of uh, connotation to it. And so John remembers Jesus saying seven times, saying, I am. Say, I am. Right? So he would say, there were seven times Jesus said, I am. And last week we looked at how Jesus said that I am the bread of life. Now, something you got to understand too about John is that when John writes, he kind of writes and it has uh, layers to it. It has, kind of has levels to it, right? Are there any married men in the room? Any married, married men? A couple married men? Like, some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand, Pastor. You feel like you're uh, setting me up here, right? right? And so married guys kind of get this, that sometimes our wives can speak in layered things right? When they say, hey, honey, can I go play golf? And she says, sure. 
does not mean sure, right? So you kind of figure that when you learn out. So John, same way. John is kind of writing on multiple, like multiple levels here. And so when he says, hey, I am the bread of life, they're thinking, they're trying to understand him on a literal level. Like, what do you mean bread of life? And so here Jesus is gonna do another kind of uh, double meaning thing as we jump into it. Now, I'm gonna read, we're gonna read chapter, we're gonna read chapter eight, verse 12, and verse 20. So we're gonna kind of put these two together, and then we'll go back in and look at uh, it from the top and kind of work our way down, and there's a reason for it, for this. But we're gonna be in verse 12. So if you've got it, would you say, I got it? Oh boy, that sounded a little weak this morning. It's a good thing, we got it on the screen just for you. It says this, It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Let's say that together as a community. I am the light of the world. One more time. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, that's verse 12. Now, some of us have heard that passage before. Now, we're going to jump down into verse 20 because the author, John, is giving us context into which where he spoke this saying. So in verse 20, it says, he spoke these words. Words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, in the ancient world, like in the, in the ancient, uh, in Jesus' time, they had this thing called the temple. The temple was like what you're in right now. It was a church, except they, only, they really only had one church. It was like one temple. It was, it was holy, all that kind of stuff. Now, when they would have um, certain seasons, they would celebrate the seasons with festivals. Has anybody had a chance to go to the, the San Diego Fair yet? Has anybody been to the San Diego Fair? Like some of you, yep, you're like, that's why I don't have any money right now, right? Right, at the end, of, we always kind of, the fair comes when? In the summer, right? And so it's kind of like this celebration of the different seasons that we've been to, through, and here comes summer. Well, they had a similar thing in the Bible where they would celebrate after different seasons. Now, this part in, where, in which Jesus is saying this, this happened during the light ceremony. Say light ceremony. The light ceremony. Now, the light ceremony apparently was pretty, pretty wild. So you hear a little bit of context of it, of where it was. It was at the temple courts. Now, the temple had different courts, meaning that there were different sections and areas in which certain types of people were allowed to go. And there was a certain part where, uh, they, where a lot of the uh, Jewish people were able to be together, the men, the women, the priests, and that's where they would have their light ceremony. Now, the light ceremony was uh, this, this festival thing, and it would happen multiple, over multiple nights, and what they would do is that they would set up four 75-foot uh, 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 candelabras. They were these big, giant light stands, and then on each light stand had four bowls. So you had one here, you had one here, you had one here, you had one here, and then they would kind of hang out in the middle and on the sides. And then they would fill, it, fill, this, uh, fill the bowls with oil. So each one had, so you had 16 in total. Now, guess what they would use for the wicks? Because you gotta light it somehow, right? The priests would donate their worn undergarments. And that's what they would use for wicks. Now, how many of you say, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, I've got a couple of undergarments we could throw in that fire, right? 
Right, I, we could do that, right? But the priests were so generous that they would, they would use their, their old undergarments as the wicks to light the fire for the thing. And, and, uh, it would, and apparently they said that all of Jerusalem would be illumined. Like it would light up all of Jerusalem. And people, you got to understand, when they would have these festivals, just like the San Diego Festival, how everybody from San Diego like flocks down there. And it's like if you ever have to drive through that, you're just praying the whole time like, Jesus, help me, right? Jesus, help me, right? And so they would have festivals. Everybody would show up and everybody would come and party and they would, it would illuminate uh, the whole, like the whole temple and all of Jerusalem. And there was even some writings in the, in the ancient text that would say like, if you have never seen this before, like you have never lived. And so apparently it was this incredible, incredible thing. And then they would show up. I think I have a picture. Let's put this, this photo up. So you have two, it's kind of cut in half there, but you've got like one side with the temple with the giant light stands uh, with, the, with the bowls. And then on the other side, you can see kind of like people just hanging out and like celebrating. You got to understand, they didn't have uh, public, you know, outdoor public lighting like we have today. And so it would have been just a treat for them to be together outside at night, hanging out, partying. And then the, uh, it tells us that the Levites would show up with their priests, right? And the mariachi bands playing and stuff, right? There's all kinds of stuff that's happening. Uh, and they just went, to have a good old time and party. Now, what was the significance of the, of the light festival, right? What, what was the significance of it? Now, just a little bit of kind of uh, a biblical background for it. Light is so important throughout the Bible and, and throughout the, the scriptures. You'll notice uh, those that, that have been, you know, study, students of the Bible and read the Bible a lot, that uh, God's first uh, creation was what? He said, let there be Right, light, light, and then uh, later, later down the road, when God was taking uh, Israel out of Egypt and leading them through the wilderness, He led them with light, and then they were even taught in Scripture. They were, or they were taught that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear in Psalm 27? And it also said, and God's word is described as a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. But a major, a major, major uh, significant part of light had to do with the exodus. And the exodus was that period of time in which God led his people out of bondage and out of slavery and led them into the promised land that God had for them. But there was, a, there was a second part to the light ceremony in which every, the reason people would show up and they would celebrate is because there was a belief that there was going to be this second exodus you see, at the time that they would celebrate all of this stuff that was happening, they were under oppression. That there was a foreign government, a foreign power that had come in and taken control of their temple and had taken control of their land. And so they would show up and they would celebrate in part of what God had done, but hoping that God would come and would deliver them again. And there was, in their scriptures, there was talk of this Messiah, and the Messiah was known as the great light and this great light was going to come and bring freedom and, and justice and peace again. So now we get to see the significance of the light ceremony. Now let's read Jesus' words again in verse 12. Jesus said this, with this context in mind, remember, that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, leave that up for the first second. Notice what he says. He doesn't, first of all, first of all, they want to know, who is this guy? Who is this guy that's showing up and that he's saying, I am the light of the world? And we're going to jump to that in a second. Who is this? But he says, he doesn't say, I'm the light of Jerusalem. He says, I am the light of the 
the world. Whoa. He goes on from that and he says this. Whoever, whoever walks in the light will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of the life. What he is telling them, all these people are looking for Messiah. They're celebrating. Woohoo! How do you celebrate at the fair? You don't do that? What do you do? Get a funnel cake and then go pass out somewhere, right? That's usually what it looks like, right? But he, he's, there's, they're like, oh my gosh, we're so excited. The light ceremony, we remember what God has done. But God, we are believing for what you're going to do. We're believing that you're going to lead us out from these terrible oppression and the terrible Romans. And Jesus shows up, and it's believed that he showed up kind of after the festival. you got to love Jesus, right? He's like, I'm not going to ruin a good party. Like, let's party, right? But after the festival, after everybody's kind of like starting to clean up and, you know, and, and the, they're not using the lights anymore, Jesus shows up on the temple courts and he says, I am the light of the world. You come here every, every, every year to celebrate this thing. He said, but I'm the light of the world. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Now, here's why it's a big deal if you don't understand this statement. Here's why it was a big deal for them. Here's why it's a big deal for us. Because when we don't understand that, that God is our light, what happens is, is that we tend to fumble then through our life. Now, let me unpack that statement for a second. In verse uh, 13, uh, after Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he makes that, that, that declaration. Of course, there were people there to challenge him. In verse 13 and 14, it says this. It says, the Pharisees, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, do you know where you come from? Turn to your neighbor and ask them. Turn to your other neighbor and ask them, do you know where you're going? So, What's happening, I'm gonna pull out two, two quick things here. The author is intentionally drawing a contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. What you see is that you've got the Pharisees uh, understanding it one way, Jesus understanding it a different way. Now, let me point this out for a second because if you read the Bible and you read the Pharisees, it feels like they're bad people, that they, they were evil people, constantly opposing Jesus. You need to know that they weren't a part of the evil empire, right? They, they, they were, these were good people. These were devout believers. <clears throat> these were God-fearers. These were, these were people that, that were studying the law and, and that were looking for Messiah and trying to do everything in their power uh, to, to uh, allow God to come back and to deliver them and get them where they needed to go. But they had a wrong view and image of who God was and who God was going to be. Last week we talked about how important it is to to reexamine or reimagine when we think about God the kind of image that comes into our heads. Because here's Jesus, they have an audience with the Son of God. They're the very person that they were looking for, but they didn't get it. They missed it. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And so the Pharisees are in the dark, which means that they're fumbling kind of their way through life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Those that are, uh, uh, those that are, are single, those that have been married, that should be everybody in the room, 
Yes? Can you imagine? You have been waiting for Mr. Wonderful your whole life. Right? You have been made, waiting for Mrs. Wonderful your entire life. Right? And in your head, Mr. Wonderful was 6'4", 8% body fat, net worth of a million dollars, drove a Maserati, and didn't have to eat kale to look like that, right? Right? And so this is what you're looking for. I know who Mr. Wright is. I've seen him on the TV screen before. He's acted in movies before. I know what I'm looking for. And sure enough, somebody shows up looking like me, and you're thinking, that's not him, right? That's not him. The Pharisees, the same, same way, same thing. It's like we, we know what we're looking for. We know the kind of Messiah. We know the kind of God that we're looking for is going to be this dude that can deliver us. It's going to be this military guy, this political guy. He's going to deliver us out of these things. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm here. I'm the light of the world. And they said, who, 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 how can you validate your testimony? You're standing here by yourself. But see, Jesus, because he knew where he came from and he knew where he, he was going, his path was illuminated. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. But the Pharisees, because their path and their minds and their world was not illuminated by the Spirit of God, they didn't know. They couldn't see it. And so here they are, they're in the dark. And as sad as it is, fumbling their way through life. Imagine this, the Pharisees usually was made up with a group of men, so not only are they impacted, their wives, their spouses are impacted, their children are impacted, their friends are impacted, everybody is impacted because they're looking at them and they're saying, is this the guy? And they're saying, it's not the guy. And this is kind of the point I want to pull from that, is that we get kind of numb and dumb in the dark. When we're in the dark, when we have chosen a path that is different than what God has for us, what happens is, is when you're in the dark, we get kind of numb and dumb to our surroundings and what's around us. You ever, you ever have to jump up out of bed and you're in a dark room? Even if it's a room you've been in a hundred times, you're just like this, right? You look like a mummy, right? You look like, what is going on? Or for those of us, not for myself, but a friend told me one time, you're in the club, oh, come on, right? In the club, like, dancing, have a good time. And in the club, do they turn the lights on? Heck no, right? Those, those lights are out, and you're having a good time. You're dancing. Oh, I found somebody to dance with, right? And you're dancing. You're having a good time, doing a great time. And then the DJ comes on, last song, right? You're not paying attention. And then last song ends, and then what happens? They turn the lights on. You look at the person you're dancing with. You're like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> right? Right? Because we get kind of numb and dumb in the dark. And although this is not, Jesus would never use that kind of language because he's much smarter than I am. He doesn't say that. That's the way that I read it. Is that when we're in the dark and we're, we're operating the way that we want to operate and we've got our own image of God and we have our own uh, image of what we think life should turn out, what happens is, is that we're not allowing God's light to penetrate our world and we live and we sit in the darkness. And the product of that is that we get kind of numb and dumb but there's a longer-term effect as well. 
is that it, it, it tends to lead us through this fumbling through life. Jesus goes on in verse 15 to 19. So again, so again Jesus is having this uh, interaction with the Pharisees. He's trying to help them understand that he is the light. In verse 15, he says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Now, for a, for, just pause there for a second. When he's saying here is, you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. Um, what he is telling them is that you make your decisions based on the things that you can see and that you can feel. You're making your decisions based on a criteria that has been set up not by, not by God, but by others. And that's the reason that you can't understand, you can't see what I'm doing, because these, this is how you set this up. Now, when Jesus says, I, I don't pass judgment on anyone, what he is saying there is that his decision-making model isn't based on the things that he sees and feels and can touch. His decision-making model is actually built on God's will for his life. And also, it has kind of a double meaning it wasn't his time to pass judgment because when he came to the earth, his goal and his job was to be a, redeem, a redeemer and a rescuer. And that offer is still on the table for all of us until he returns. But then he goes, I don't pass judgment on any. If I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father, he's referring to God, who sent me in your own law. So he's referring to the law, the law that was so important to them, the law in which they built their entire life around. It's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. So if I, if I were to bring a charge against somebody, I couldn't, just, I couldn't just bring that charge by myself. I would have to have somebody else to come with me. The two of us would bring that charge, and then that's how my, my testimony would be, would be valid. He's saying, that's your law, that's what you're doing. He says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Now again, what the author is doing is drawing this contrast between Jesus and between the Pharisees. Now, understand this. Jesus has a sense of confidence and purpose to his life because God has lit his path, which enables him to be a confident, purpose-filled uh, person and decisions. By contrast, the Pharisees judge and make decisions based on their own set of standards and criteria. Even though they were well-educated, God-fearing people, they don't have the light of light to guide, to guide their way. So they're fumbling their way through life. Think about that. Pharisees were people like me that had an education in the Bible that should know this kind of stuff, that should be able to recognize who is right in front of them. But because they were, they were not illuminated, because they didn't understand who God was and what God wanted for their life, they totally missed it. Jesus, on the other hand, was walking with a sense of confidence and with a sense of uh, uh, purpose in his life because he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. Which leads me to ask us this question. You don't have to answer this. It's a rhetorical question. But you and your life, do you feel like you're walking with a sense of confidence and purpose through life? Or do you feel like you're, you have, you're fumbling through life a bit? You don't have to answer that. I just want to ask that question and let it sit for a second. Are you walking with confidence and purpose through your life? Or do you feel like, you know what, if I'm honest, Pastor Mike, I feel like I'm fumbling a bit. 
There's a, there's a, a book that I've started to read, and um, it's re- referencing uh, this other book that was, it's a real uh, dense book. It's called After Virtue. This guy named Alasdair McIntyre. And uh, basically the whole idea is that there's a lot of comparisons that are going on right now between uh, uh, the fall of Rome and Western civilization. That they notice a lot of the kind of the similar patterns, a lot of the same patterns uh, in, in both worlds. And, um, but one of the things that is relevant for us today is that uh, how people began to start making decisions as Rome was falling is kind of the same world that we're in today. And uh, it has this term called emot- emotivism. Emotivism. Go ahead and put this uh, quote up for me. Emotivism is the idea that all moral choices are nothing more than expressions of what the choosing individual feels is right. All moral choices are based on, I'm just going to do what feels right. You see, when this is the kind of the dominant uh, decision-making model in our world, it's no wonder, even those that would, you consider yourself a Christ follower and you've, you are following God, we are, we are absolutely impacted by this, Right? Because here we are, we're trying to follow God's light for our life, but the world around us is following whatever light is in their life, and it impacts us. And here's kind of my point for us, is if you are simply guided by your own light, you will fumble your way through life. If you are simply guided by your own light, right, <clears throat> which is your own belief of, of, of uh, what, how to make decisions and, and how to go through life, you will fumble through life. But you don't have to. Jesus gives you a choice. Walk in the darkness, fumbling through life, or walk in the light with confidence and with purpose. Now, real quickly, I'm going to bring us home uh, this morning. Following God's light does a couple of things, but I wanted to highlight uh, two of them. The first one is that God's light brings illumination. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look illuminated today. Let them know. You look illuminated today, right? Jesus says, you'll never walk in darkness. You'll never, think about that. You'll never walk in darkness. Those of us that have, have lived a little bit of life, right, and you think about the seasons where you're definitely not walking in God's light, you feel that was a season where you were walking in darkness. What Jesus says, you follow my light, you'll never have to walk in darkness. Imagine this, imagine this. Imagine moving through your life with a sense of confidence and purpose. I know who I am and I know where I'm going. Imagine that. Jesus, following God's light, it brings illumination to our life. And if you are in a season where you feel like it's a wilderness season, you feel like you're fumbling, I'm going to let you know, if you will follow God's light for your life, he will lead you out of that season. The other thing is that it lights up our way, that God's light lights up our way. How many of us, we, we're constantly facing decisions on, uh, of, of what we should do, Yes? We're constantly making decisions. Do, you know, what, kind of, what kind of investment should I make? How, how should I raise my children, right? How, how, how should I uh, make this decision in, in business? How, how should I make this decision when it comes to my family? We're constantly doing that. Imagine not have to fumble your way through life, but having a light lit up for you. A little trackpad knowing where to go. See, it, does, it brings illumination. And the second thing that it brings is that it brings celebration. When you follow God's light, it brings celebration. 
You see, I think the reason that John remembers uh, this statement of Jesus and remembers where it happened is that they, it was illuminated, but, but they were having a good old time, right? They were celebrating, having, having fun with their family. All of their family and friends were coming into town, having a great time. You see, following God's light not only will illuminate your way, it'll bring celebration to your life. How many here, you would love some joy in your life? right? Some joy, some joy, right? Life is hard. Things have been tough. I want some joy. God promises, follow the light. You'll have joy in your life. Now, very quickly, what does that look like? What does that look like? I just want to give you three quick things. One, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light. And I love how the NLT translates it. It says, we'll have the light that leads to life. We'll have the light that leads to life. Now, what does that look like? Three things real quickly. One is that following God's light for your life involves uh, listening to God's voice. We gotta be able to listen to God's voice. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, how can you hear God's voice? Just start with reading scripture. Scripture, we believe, is is God's word to us. That's a great place to start. But creating space where you can have silence and solitude, where where you can think and you can listen, maybe have a little journal pad where you can write some stuff down. But following God's light involves listening for God's voice. Second thing is to learn God's ways. Learn God's ways. What that is is discipleship. Do you know what discipleship means? Apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. You know the cool thing about like uh, certain trades, like if you want to be a plumber, you want to be an electrician, you don't, you don't just like go to school, they give you a certificate and off you go. You know what you do? You're an apprentice. You're like working with them. I don't know if you have to have the plumber's crack to, to be a plumber. Just seeing if you're still awake, seeing if you're still awake, right? But, you, but it's an apprenticeship, right? You're, you're, you're walking with you. Bible says in Matthew 11, if you were tired and weary, come to me. Come follow me. Come see how I do life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, practically, what what does it look like to to learn God's ways? Here at the church, we give you a couple of different options. Honestly, the the opportunity to serve is a great way to learn God's ways. And right after service, we're going to have a volunteer interest meeting. And then later today, we're going to have the team night. Come and be a part of that. These are how you learn God's ways. And then the third one is to follow God's lead. To follow God's lead. I believe that God kind of nudges us and leans us in a certain direction. As we learn, as we listen, we learn, we can follow. Now in a moment, I'm going to invite us to stand and sing, but I want to close with this story. Over the last few weeks, the world watched with a little bit of horror, a little bit of anxiety as we, did, as we learned about these, this uh, soccer team in Thailand that was stuck in the cave. And there was 12 boys uh, and one coach from 11 to 16 years old. And, and they rode their bikes to this, this uh, kind of a famous cave o- over in Thailand. And they were going to perform a, 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 a kind of an initiation ceremony thing, you know, a team building thing. And uh, so they park their bikes and they walk into the cave and they walk, they walk about two and a half miles in, into the cave. Now, just for context... That's about from right here to the Starbucks uh, by Sweetwater High School. 
If you were to walk from here, that's about as far as it is. And they walk in there and they're, you know, I'm sure like they, they you know, they brought a couple of snacks and stuff because they were only planning on being there maybe a couple of hours. And sure enough, they have monsoon seasons that just, just poured down rain and filled that cave up and they had to retreat back into some high ground uh, where they sat there. And they sat there for nine days in this cave. Nine days. Finally, it was discovered, you know, I mean, they, they realized that they were gone pretty quickly, uh, but, you know, trying to figure out where they were at and, and, and getting to them. Finally, rescue, the rescuers were able to get to them, which was kind of the easy part. For them getting to the, to the boys was kind of the easy part. The challenge was to get them out. And the challenge was because of a couple of reasons. One, that the, there were these tight passageways and these turns, and it was all flooded. That was one of the, one of the things. It was dark. It was pitch dark. In fact, we learned later that after they were pulled out of there and they were rescued, that the boys had to wear uh, sunglasses and stuff because the light was so intense in their life. And then the third thing, reason it was hard, was because they didn't know how to swim. And they were going to have to learn how to do these things. But do, but do you know what, how they survive? In my opinion, three things. One, they listened to their coach. You see, the coach taught them that, that they rationed their little bit of food supply that they had and then taught them to drink the water off of the walls, which had been, uh, went through the minerals and stuff and was good water to, to drink, and also taught them how to meditate, to, to conserve their energy and to not panic. So they listened to their coach. The second thing was that they had to, they had to learn some stuff. As the rescue team got there, one of the things that they began to teach them was how to swim. They taught them how to swim. They taught them how to, how to dive. They taught them how to, what it felt like to have some scuba gear on them. So they had to learn some stuff. And then the third thing that got them out of there was that they had to follow, they had to follow the lead. They had to follow the lead. And what they did was rescuers had strung a rope through that cave, and then they strung lights all up atop the cave. And they had a diver in front of them, diver behind them, with the, with the boys in between. And as long as they were following that light, they got out of there. You see, I wonder for us to use that story as a metaphor for our own life. I wonder how many of us ventured into some cave, ventured into some thing, relationship, adventure, decision. We ventured into it. Rain, the unexpected happened. And here we're stuck. How do I get out of here? You see, on a, on a, temp, on a temporal level, you know, we do this situationally and stuff like that, but there's also a bigger picture too. How many of us did that on a bigger picture? You see, the way out, I think, are those three things. You gotta listen to our coach. You gotta understand that God, God has your best interest in mind. We gotta listen to our coach. We got to learn our coach's ways. We got to learn God's ways for our life. And then we got to follow God's lead. You see, I believe that God wants to lead you out of whatever it is that you're dealing with. I believe that God wants to not only lead you out of what you're dealing with, but also lead you out of this world and into the next. Got to listen. Got to learn. Got to follow. Would you pray with me? God, we, uh, 